Pokémon. Let's get started. Yes. <laughs> Again, White Claw keeps on going down my wrong tube. Oh my God. It's a good Thursday night. Anyways, hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to your favorite podcast on earth. Anyways, how's your sex life? We are your slutty hosts. I'm Channa. And I'm Corey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 76. Yes. About time. <laughs> that you finally get in this episode right, it is only right our like third attempt pretty much at yep. these episodes it's fine because last episode 75 i talked about how <laughs> it was such a fucking nightmare to get it out and this episode it was the same we're just cursed by the golden state killer it's just like a weird curse that we have yeah i don't know why yeah our, our computers are just being little buttheads it's because it's because you moved it just changed too much there's too much going on in yeah, the in the in universe, the universe. In the universe. <laughs> too much. Namaste. Too the much going universe, on. universe, just that one thing. <laughs> the universe. It's too much. But yeah, our, um, who do you start to? I start. Or do we have announcements? We do have announcements. Yes, First, let's do announcements. Announce, well, there's only really one announcement for everybody. Remember to watch Dr. Sleep for the yeah, month oh of my August. God, yeah, watch Dr. Sleep. That's our what movie of the one month is. Dr. Sleep. So go ahead and watch it because we're going to be talking about it next week, y'all. So watch it. Masturbate over it. Dream about it. Write in your journal about it. Just get ready because we will be discussing it all next week. Yeah, I'm Other excited. I, I, we, we've both already seen it. It's really good, though. I love it. I have not. You haven't have seen, not it? seen it? Oh, no. it's super good. It's y'all on HBO saw now. Because I think I was going to go with you guys. Yeah. Oh, did you see it in theaters? I think I was going to go with you guys, but I got yeah. stuck at work. Something happened that I couldn't go. I don't remember what, but I, I couldn't be there. Oh, that's Or fine. was I just depressed in October? Did it come out in October of last year? I feel like it came out during Halloween. No, I think it came out in November. Mm. Yeah. I was probably busy with like Friendsgiving stuff yeah, because pretty much sense. my entire month in November is Friendsgiving preparation. Yeah. Ooh, the first two weeks, we might, like, bye. <laughs> we might be moving to this town ho- this townhouse in Salt Lake. I'm looking at like four different townhouses because I really want a garage because I realize that's something that I want now because I'm an adult. But anyways, I one of the townhouses we looked at, I was like, fuck, like, how are we going to fit Friendsgiving in here? And I realized we could do Friendsgiving in the garage. Like, I could do uh, string lights ooh, everywhere pretty, and make yeah. it really pretty and really cool. And so I think we might do, if we move to a townhouse, Friendsgiving will be hosted in the garage, in the garage. this year. Bougie. I love it. Bougie garage. Bougie Salt Lake City garage. Uh, I'm so excited to move out of Provo. Provo sucks. Yeah, that'll be exciting for y'all. I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty much the only announcements that we had. Yeah. Dr. Sleep and Friendsgiving in the Garage, which you're all invited to. Um, other than that, I guess we're ready to get started. Since I'm going today, I am going to be doing my spooky scoops first. Yes. So my spooky scoop is real fun for y'all. 
because it's whenever it's my segment, I'm going to do like a shorter, more like, woo, let's take a quiz. Let's like do some fun shit. Spooky scoops instead of something serious. Like, did you hear this true crime update? Um, so I actually have two spooky scoops for you guys, though. They're both really fun. First Ooh. spooky scoop is, ab- is about 30 seconds long. If okay. that. This past week, Annabelle escaped from the Warrens <laughs> Occult Museum, everybody. And so on TikTok. The TikToks are fun. <laughs> there's like so many TikToks of, of Annabelle doing shit. Like uh, like Annabelle creating her OnlyFans because she's a free woman oh now. Oh my God. Or like yes. Annabelle when she realizes she killed the wrong Trump. Or Annabelle <laughs> like, when, like trying to steal your man. Like all this shit. So Annabelle escaped. Yes. She's a free woman now she's just selling coochie pics for rent did you ever read up like how she escaped like what (laughs) well i have some sad news about that i'm pretty sure it was was a lie oh it was a lie i'm pretty sure the whole the whole thing was a lie (laughs) just some like millennials me probably um lied about it online somebody just said it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, someone's like, what if Annabelle escaped? And everyone's like, so Annabelle escaped. So, you know, like, yeah. just escalated. Escaped. And here we are with Annabelle's. Like, I'm tempted to create OnlyFans for Annabelle. Like, I'll just or dress just, up just as dress Annabelle. Just dress up as Annabelle. <laughs> oh, my God. This is what I'm doing. Oh, my God. Um, speaking of OnlyFans, everybody, I did create an OnlyFans account, y'all. Uh, 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 uh. So if you want yes. my yes. titty pics, if you want my coochie pics, I'm just kidding. You won't see full-blown vagina pics, but you'll see very sexy lingerie pics, videos of me showering, videos Ooh, of me, like, you know, with my whole body, maybe some cum shots. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> just go check out my OnlyFans. It is OnlyFans.com slash Isla S. So A-Y-L-A-S, because Isla is my Dungeons & Dragons character's name, yes. because it can't possibly get nerdier. But uh, when I do create the Annabelle OnlyFans, I'll let you know what that is because that is now what I will do because that's amazing. So that is my first spooky scoop. Second spooky scoop is I'm going to read you guys your tarot reading for this week. So obviously, since you're not sitting right in front of me, because that would be weird if everyone was in front of me all of a sudden, I'm just going to pull a random card. Um, just to give you like a thing that you should focus on this week. Corey's going to help me out though. And cause I need to shuffle these cards. And so he's going to tell me when to stop shuffling. So I'm going to go ahead and start shuffling now. We can just chit chat about Annabelle. Oh, yeah. Last time. An- anal balls. Last week when we did this, <laughs> we chatted for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and then we were like, do, Oh fuck. <laughs> they do need to be shuffled. So they, this will need to take at least shuffle, like a shuffle, minute. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Uh, but what so what was really cool about my lash girl and she might be listening to this podcast now so hey bitch hey bitch um i told we talked about tarot because she asked me about my tattoo and she was like super into tarot and i never meet people in utah county that one knows what tarot is but two isn't terrified of tarot or think i'm like a witch so it was like way cool like i I, so i met her and she was like you do tarot i'm like do you do tarot and then we found out, like, we're both bi. We both do tarot. Like, she's super fucking awesome. She loves tequila. I'm like, you should meet my friend Corey. Yeah. Like, it was so fun. It was one of the only girls I've ever immediately bonded with that didn't try to make out with me. It was amazing. She's making Am out I... like, the picture of you right now. <laughs> I know. Cut to her being like, what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cut to her, like, <laughs> signing up for your OnlyFans. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah i finally have an only fans i have five fans so far yes. and i have a couple bundles like if you get Ooh, like you three months bundles? yeah if you do like three months i think you get like 
I don't know. I should know this off the top of my head, but I think five or ten percent off. Oh no! Nice. And then if you sign up for six months, you get a different percentage off. I might be doing like a free trial. I already did a free trial, but I might be doing another one, so you get free trial for like or fifty percent off for like a month or something. Oh wow! Who knows? I also started a, an OnlyFans Twitter that's very slutty, and I follow a bunch of OnlyFans baddies, and and some of them follow me back, and I'm like, oh my god! So it's it's a whole new world that I'm getting into. I love supporting other women selling coochie pics. It's so fun. Because yeah, we all follow must, each other. That's like, be empowering. Yeah. It's Isla S. So Isla's underscore OF. Okay, it's, stop. It's a good time. Okay, I stopped. I was like, stop what? Okay, I'm now I'm going to divide it into three, three parts. Third part. Okay, Corey, should the right go on top? Or sorry, should the left go on top, the middle go on top, or the middle go or the right go on top? The uh, middle go on top. Okay, and then should the left one go underneath that or the right one? The right one goes all the way on the bottom, so top okay. le- or middle left right. Perfect. Okay, everybody. Thank you, Corey, for being my beautiful assistant for this tarot card reading. If yeah. we were in a magic show, you would be wearing a slutty outfit right now. Which you might be. I mean, who knows? I'm not. Okay. Sadly. So you're like cut to you wearing like the craziest lingerie, <laughs> just like total BDSM leather daddy lingerie. I'm like hanging from the ceiling there. in like a fuck swing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I'm ready for the podcast. Okay, I'm going to take a drink. Okay. So what, what is it? What What's happening to us? The card that everyone should focus on this week's. This week is, ooh the empress Ooh. all right now let's talk about that shit so some some like key words you should think about this week is is creation nature and the mother so the empress is the mother or the goddess of the tarot her energy encompasses all that is warm fertile creative and sensual in the world her strength comes from being gentle and compassionate and loving without binding when this card appears, it's either pointing to a maternal relationship in your life or the side of yourself that wants love. Sorry. And let me reread that sentence because I didn't realize. I thought that was a period, but it was a comma. <laughs> um, when this card appears, it either is pointing to a maternal relationship in your life or the side of yourself that wants to love more. The Empress also suggests it's time for you to reconnect with nature. Go outside tonight and find the moon. Yes. So f- for you guys... Which is actually pretty uh, hilarious that we're talking about OnlyFans and empowerment through, like, being sensual. But this week, what I think, what I want you guys to focus on, according to this tarot reading, is just really loving yourself and appreciating the small, like, romanticizing your life, pretty much. Focus on the relationship with yourself or focus on the relationship with others. But romanticize it and realize how beautiful it is. And go, like, get outside. Do what you wanted to do. Go out in nature. Be the baddie that you want to be. Just love yourself and just focus on self-love this week. That all of us need to do that all the time. But just realize that you are a badass motherfucker and just look at look at yourself in the mirror and realize how amazing you are and go show the world how you are a baddie and go make an OnlyFans account to make money off of that. <laughs> that is your tarot. <laughs> Real life translation. 
Real life translation is, is follow me on OnlyFans and I'll follow you on and then, OnlyFans. And then take some take some take some nudie pics in in nature. Yeah, go put some fall leaves on your coochie and yeah. and sell that shit, bitch. And then queef them up in the air. Yeah, go queef a leaf. Queef a leaf. <laughs> go queef that goddamn leaf for oh that God. motherfucking money, bitch. Oh my gosh, there we go. Like, what was Podcast the card that title. you pulled? It was the Empress. Empress equals queef, queef the leaf. The leaf. <laughs> Every tarot person's like, no, that's not what that card means. Don't Do tell me how to read my cards. I'm like, bitch, my cards are telling me queef a leaf. My cards are like, no, we didn't say queef a leaf. Your cards just ignite. Your deck ignites on fire. Right. Noob's like, bitch, bitch. we need to do this again. So go queef a leaf. Annabelle's free. And go join OnlyFans. That is yeah. my spooky scoop for today. I love it. That's so good. Annabelle escaped, escaped queef a leaf. Yeah. <laughs> Annabelle's like queefing leaves right now. So go join An- Annabelle. Well, Annabelle anymore God. i know because because she's back yeah maybe she is the gone man though locked her up uh, god so okay sad. so let's move on to my uh faggot fact yes yes okay so um this faggot fact today is actually sort of fun like, it's about <laughs> queefing leaves coincidentally it's, queefing leaves, coincidentally. it's, it's exactly <laughs> how to get the best aerodynamic queef of your leaf <laughs> You're like, I actually talked to a real life scientist about <laughs> queefing Don't get to the scientist is a stripper <laughs> yeah. with goggles on. She's like, yeah, bitch. Like, yes. She is like, she like has. I'm just like giving uh, her money. <laughs> okay, she's wait. She's like, this is how. It's like a peer reviewed article about queefing leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It was somebody's like thesis. <laughs> Yeah, what's going to happen? Like, what if, like, 100 years from now, we still haven't gotten to space? Like, what are people's, like, period, like, you know, theses theses are going to be about? Like, (laughs) Queeping leaves. I feel like we've theseed everything that we could have theseed. That's (laughs) okay. It'll be about the next pandemic. There we go. (laughs) So. (laughs) Okay. So, mine today is about Friedrich the Great. Where, if you remember, um, which you might not, which a few weeks back, or a good amount of weeks back, this was episode 73, I did a fact on Friedrich Wilhelm von Steuben, and this was the one that Carl sort of inspired me to do, where he told me that there was, hey, like, there's this statue of this gay dude who was, like, super important in the Revolutionary War, um, and shit like that, and um, so we talked about this guy, Friedrich Friedrich Wilhelm, Wilhelm von Steuben, which was a gay guy. Um, and during that time, I said that he, in his early life at the age of 17, he, he became Friedrich the Great's uh, personal aide and then basically left uh, because he was dismissed from the army, from the Prussian army in 1763. And then I figured out that Friedrich the Great himself is a faggot. Gay. So, yes. <laughs> so you gay motherfucker. Everyone's a faggot, just so you know, in history. Just like everyone's yeah. a fucking faggot. I just want to say, like, if, if your faggot facts have taught us anything, it is that Everyone. everybody's gay. <laughs> Everyone's fucking gay. <laughs> You're gay. I'm gay. Yeah. The listeners Annabelle's are gay. gay. Like, my An- goodness. Anal beads is gay. Anal balls. Like, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, my tarot deck is gay as fuck. The whole thing. <laughs> um, so, let's just talk about Preach the Great really quick. We'll talk about his youth. Uh, so, he's born in Berlin on the 24th of January in 1712. And his grandfather was king at the time. 
uh, but died a year after he was born, making him the crown prince. So he had other uh, brothers and sisters, but he became the heir to the throne, basically. His father was known as a soldier, uh, as the soldier king, and was extremely strict because of this, um, which super created a lot of contention between uh, his father and Friedrich. Uh, because Friedrich was more into arts, philosophy, literature, you know, all the gay shit. <laughs> I feel like we're watching an episode of Game of Thrones right now. Oh, we are. <laughs> um, at 16, he began a relationship with the king's page and was punished when it was discovered. This dude, the page, was basically fired and then put in, inscripted into the army, but in like a very expeditious, like quick way. Like it was all of his paperwork was expedited and they were like, okay, crap, this whole like gay affairs going on with my son and you. So page boy, we're basically sending you to the front lines. He was sent specifically oh, to the front lines of the war to basically just be killed. Um, Friedrich got a slap on the hand and then was sent to a religious school for like a couple of years uh, to quote unquote, repent of his sins. Cause Christianity. Um, you know. that works because it works <laughs> at age 18 he made plans to run away to England uh, with this dude named Hermann er- von Kott uh, it sort of got tied up into this whole like treasonous plot I don't know how like there's I'm sure there's some you know fucking you know HBO show about it I'm not sure um, but what happened is at the, this was all shut down and stuff, and then Friedrich was forced to uh, watch Kotz execution. <laughs> oh, fuck! Maybe his dad's like, "Dear God, like this is the second time you're 18, and this one like, because this like I think him running away was like you know would have sparked some kind of treason or like broken a treaty that like would have caused a lot of like political unrest for the country or like surrounding countries. I don't know exactly." Um, it was like too much to just get into, but who cares? Um, so at the same time, um, uh, what's his name after he, or Friedrich, after Friedrich watches Kotz execution, he does go to prison for a time. And then while he's in prison, <laughs> he, fucks. he, what? He fucks. He gets down. Oh yeah. He gets down and falls in love <laughs> with this guy named Michael Gabriel Friedrich, Friedrichsdorf, Friedrichsdorf. Yeah. Um, and 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 after they both get out of prison, Fergus Dorth uh, would stay by his side and was basically like his personal assistant for the next 27 years and even had oh. an adjoined and- bedroom when Friedrich became a king and lived in the palace. Oh, my God. They were roommates? They were roommates. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, they you were just, Frederick you know, they was- just, like, never married. They were just, like, you know, platonic roommates and just, like, you know, that were conjoined bedrooms. You know, they just, you know, there's really good guy, really good guy friends. You know? They were just, yeah, they were really good. They're straight. Yeah. They're straight. Historians. Totally straight. Totally straight. They were straight. <laughs> yeah. Um, Frederick and Michael Gabriel was was straight. Like, just totally straight. Um, So in May of 1740, um, Friedrich becomes... uh, Frederick, sorry, Frederick. Friedrich is Friedrich von uh, Wilhelm von Steuben, the guy we already talked about, but Frederick. Um, So Frederick was uh, forced... Oh, sorry, Frederick became king in 1740. I'm going to backtrack a little bit, though, because these are sort of a couple events uh, quickly leading up to him being king. So Frederick was forced to marry against his will in 1733. But he, Aww. like, of course, didn't really care about his wife. So he literally devised this whole setup plan with her that he would only visit her once a year and she could do whatever the hell she wanted. 
but he would visit her on her birthday. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you know, that kind of sounds like my ideal situation. That's true. Where you're married to a king. Yeah. He's gay. You Which know it. Fun. You're like, I will be your wife when we go to parties. Yeah. But just send me off to our cute ass cottage. I'm going to be a lesbian over here with my maidens. Yeah. And then give me money. And so, yeah, and it's it's a good deal. Well, she like, like, it's a pretty. It was even better than that, too. They didn't even have to meet up for parties or whatever. They would literally meet like to a point after a time. It just became like she was just off doing whatever the hell she wanted with a ton of money. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. With all this money. Oh, my yeah. God. And then she got <laughs> like like 16 pounds of chocolate and then went missing. This is oh actually the God, Dorothy no. all red case that Dorothy we're talking all about. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> At least she went out with all that chocolate, you know, like or yeah. I guess she didn't because it was taken. You know, that's what we found. She didn't get taken with it, but uh, it's fine. R.I.P. So in 1739, um, he also met this uh, Venetian philosopher, Francesco Algarotti. They like sort of had this whole passion like thing going on. And it basically led to, long story short, led to Friedrich, or Frederick, sorry, writing Algarotti a poem. Mm -hmm. And while I'm bringing, why I'm bringing this up is because this is one of the like biggest hard evidences. There are other hard evidences and a lot of people like noting it throughout his life of like him doing stuff. But this is a big uh, one where he basically writes this poem that has a lot of illusions or innuendos or double entendres. Um, and these illusions are specifically Greek, uh, which basically are talking about him, uh, Frederick in the poem, watching Algarotti make love to a woman. Um, with Ooh. these innuendos and illusions, these Grecian illusions, um, you, basically you get that it's he's really talking about Algarotti having sex with him and not having sex with a woman. And this is a really cool thing because this, uh, using all these Grecian innuendos, ties in with uh, the gay enlightenment, or with the with the enlightenment, sorry, not the gay enlightenment. <laughs> the gay enlightenment, which is a very um, intense historical so yeah, uh, period. This, uh, this, this ties in with the enlightenment, which is also known as the age of reason. So the age of reason or the enlightenment was a movement, it was like an intellectual and cultural movement. Um, in the 18th century that basically was like where everyone was like, hey, we're going to sort of focus on reason and science instead of this like superstition and religious shit that everybody has been doing. So it's sort of like a continuation of the um, what do you call it? The Renaissance. Um, mm -hmm. They're like, hey, like, I mean, it, it happened a little bit later, but it, it's fine um, just for like lack of, you know, nitpicking everything. Um, so I, I, I brought this up a little bit ago. Um, not a little bit ago, but like in one of the first 20 episodes about talking about <laughs> a little bit ago, <laughs> you know, like, like a year and a half ago. ago. I brought this up like a week ago, two, two years ago, you know, go, go back and find it. Everybody. Yeah, it, like, <laughs> it'll take you like five seconds to like go back 50 episodes. It's no, <laughs> no big deal. Just go do a quick little listen. Yeah. Quick little list. And one of my faggot facts I talk about um, gay like gay literature or like a super sweeping overview of like gay literature in the history of that. Um, and I mentioned in it, I figured out and then mentioned to y'all when I was like doing my research that in, during the enlightenment, there's a ton, a big part of the enlightenment was focusing on Grecian or Hellenistic and Roman um, philosophy and Roman art and the class, like, you know, their classic literatures and poems and plays and with that became that sort of focus on the male figure and the human figure, specifically the male figure, sorry, and the inclusion of pedestry, 
which is or pedastria i don't know how to pronounce it exactly but that's the whole thing where you had the older man that was with the younger younger boy and they sort of had like a mentorship going on but also a like sexual relationship going on Um, oh my god they were mentors oh my god they were mentors (laughs) (laughs) um so so basically it is insinuated in a good amount of historians and academics are like oh yeah during this time like the male figure in homosexuality was seen as a regular thing um or that ideal of it being a regular thing sort of came back into society and so him using these illusions is sort of a nod nod wink wink to the gay enlightenment and why i'm still bring why i'm also bringing that up is because friedrich the great was one of the main people or one of the main monarchs or leaders of europe that pushed this movement that pushed enlightenment he's one as he's known as one of the main monarchs of europe to push this and sort of push you know western civilization forward Ooh. Uh, alongside because he gay yeah because he's gay so yeah he was like super supportive free freedom of speech freedom of press he focused on economy and promoted education and agriculture he also got rid of uh, the death sentence for sodomy and the death sentence for other things as well um he was also like known as being a really good militaristic leader um which actually his father was super worried about because you know he was gay um (laughs) (laughs) you know he was because he he was was gay gay. but yeah he he actually like used his uh like tactics and war tactics and his gayness yeah he used his gayness to like learn (laughs) what men would do (laughs) and anticipate it (laughs) so um, he won a lot of battles that he was specifically outnumbered, that the Prussian armies were specifically outnumbered in by, you know, selecting good generals and also commanding them specifically to do things um, that won wars and won battles. This, during this time that I'm all talking about, that is when Friedrich uh, Wilhelm von Steuben sort of becomes one of his aides in, in you know, in all of this going on. However, while he's doing this, Friedrich uh von steuben was fired basically for his homosexuality which is weird because you Ooh, know the guy weird. he was basically serving was um homosexual so maybe there's something going on there i don't i don't know um i mean it could have been just to cover himself because maybe yeah frederick the great yeah. politically like had to yeah maybe he had to do that or like friedrich wilhelm von steuben like you know offended him in some way or or maybe he wasn't they weren't even as close on a daily basis as we would think. So yeah, it just happened, that definitely could you know, be and Friedrich, someone else could have fired him. Yeah, yeah. Someone else could have fired him and Friedrich could have never even known about it, you know, um, yeah. until after it happened or something like that. That's pretty much Friedrich the great. There's this whole other little side story that I said last time, but it's, it's a little convoluted. It doesn't really matter that much where he has this whole thing with Voltaire, which is a, uh, he's like a, uh, French philosopher. Yeah. He's right? a French philosopher, uh, that everybody's heard once or twice. You've at least heard that name. They have a whole thing that goes on, which is actually how it gets out publicly that he's gay because Voltaire gets mad at him. And for like a decade, they, they hate each other. And Voltaire's like, well, you fucking gay. And then he tells everybody in like one of his in one of Voltaire's memoirs. Um, but yeah, that that's basically Frederick the Great. He was a great Prussian leader and supported and focused on pushing the Enlightenment and those values and ideologies. So go him. That's fucking Friedrich the Great. Yes, Friedrich the Gay. The Gay, the Great Gay. (laughs) Yeah, the Great, Friedrich the Great Gay. (laughs) Well, let's move on to my segment. Yeah, let's do that. 
my segment today is a continuation of last week's segment because normally yes. on episode 75, Corey and I do a combined episode. Um, since we are um, doing individual segments now each week, that's why it's in two parts. So welcome to part two of The Golden State Killer, a.k.a. Joseph D'Angelo. So before I get into my segment, I really want to make sure that we are all on the same page about this serial killer's motive and the reason why, or kind of the turning point for him as to why he went from being kind of weird Joseph D'Angelo into serial rapist slash serial killer, Golden State Killer. And I, the reason I want to go through it is I find it's really fascinating because it's it's similar to my personal favorite serial killer, Ted Bundy. So that's why I think it's so interesting. You're like, it's similar to me. It's similar to me because I'm a serial killer. It's what I would do. So it's really important to understand that Joseph D'Angelo, he always got off of uh, control. That was He needed to be in complete control of the entire situation. From the very beginning to the very end, he needed to be in control. He actually got more pleasure out of being in control of the situations instead of like the actual physical acts that he would be doing. It was always oh, about wow. the control. Um, for him, since he was a really, since he was a young kid and Corey went through this, he watched his little sister get raped. Um, that's what started him most likely viewing sex, especially towards women, as something that's more brutal and violent and uh, forced. And then growing up, he went through, you know, the parents ignoring him, the parents super controlling, blah, 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 all the stereotypical, you know, elements of a childhood that make someone end up being a serial killer. Um, but what's very interesting for me is their turning point for D'Angelo, the the event that set him off into this rage towards women, which started like the burglaries and the rapes and all of that terrible stuff that we're going to go through, was the breakup between him and his longtime girlfriend. She dumped him. I think her name was Brenda or something. But she dumped him, and after she dumped him, that was a huge turning point for him. And that's when he became really angry, especially towards women. The reason I find that so fascinating is that's exactly what happened to, to Ted Bundy. Yeah, where Bundy is, had yeah. the girlfriend, she dumped him, and suddenly that is, was because yeah, that was the turning point. Study. Uh, and yeah. Joseph D'Angelo, even some victims have come forward and said that while he was raping them or beating them, he would be yelling Brenda's name. I think her name was Brenda. I could be wrong. But he would be yelling the ex-girlfriend's name and being like why like why'd you do this and so that breakup was what spearheaded his violence My specifically God. towards women not blaming her because it's not her fault whatsoever he's the total psychopath here but it's really interesting for me that that connection between ten bundy and this guy especially since this guy like we've already talked about has some connection to the son of sam so he he has a lot of little connecting bonnie. points to a her lot name of was these. Bonnie. To Bonnie. I knew it started with the B. I was thinking Brenda, but it was Bonnie. So yeah, so he as he would be raping or beating these victims, he would be like yelling Bonnie's name. Which I think was really interesting. So I just wanted to talk about that because I I wanted to say it last week, but I was too drunk and I forgot about it. And this whole week, it's been bugging me to make sure to say it because yeah. I found that very freaky. And I, I love connecting serial killers to other serial killers because it makes serial killers even more interesting. So anyways, now let's get into my segment. Now that's out of the way. Um, it's just really important that you that y'all understand his that he needs control. That is who Joseph D'Angelo is. So last week, Corey talked about 
good old D'Angelo's early life, his time as the Fasalia ransacker, and his time as the East Area Rapist. As years went by, his crimes became more violent. By 1979, he had already ransacked hundreds of homes and raped nearly 50 women and killed three, but he wanted more. D'Angelo left the Sacramento area and he moved to Southern California where he earned the nickname The Original Night Stalker. Ah. Not to be confused with The Night Stalker, who is Richard Ramirez, who, who we will obviously go over in the future. He's just a big one. Um, but he is known as The Original Night Stalker. It is speculated that D'Angelo moved to Southern California because his usual hunting ground was filled with fear and parano- paranoia. Homeowners started increasing security. Simone just threw herself into the closet so aggressively. Oh my God, Simone, are you okay? She like made eye contact Whoa. with me and then just yeeted herself as hard as she Whoa. could into. <laughs> she was like, "Bye, mom." Yeet. Bye. <laughs> she just like, She's like, "I'm a cat." Bye. Yeah, she just like swan dove into the closet because she really wants to cuddle blankets. Oh, Simone! It would not be a podcast episode without Simone. Without you know, Simone Mo's. interrupting. So homeowners were increasing their security. They're purchasing guns, purchasing weapons. Things were getting out of control, and it was impossible for D'Angelo to be able to control the situation in his usual stomping ground. Um, And that's what he took pleasure out of, was controlling the situation. And then while he was controlling it, he would be physical and assault and rape people. So he decided to move to an area where people weren't afraid, where they didn't know they were supposed to lock their doors, where they didn't know that there was a serial rapist on the loose and soon-to-be serial killer. So he moved to a small coastal town of Goleta, which is near Santa Barbara. Okay. In the early morning of October 1st, 1979, a woman woke up to a masked intruder ordering her to lie down in the living room. Once she was on the floor, the original Night Stalker bound her arms and legs and then went into the bedroom and tied up her boyfriend. After that... This dude, D'Angelo, went into the kitchen to make himself a snack, which Corey and I talked about last week. Um, He told the woman that he was just there for money. Knowing that was a fucking lie, because obviously he's not there just for money, um, as soon as he had his back turned and he was focusing on making himself a snacky, um, she broke the shoelace that bound her wrists and then untied her ankles, and she bolted it out out of her front door and started hysterically screaming, begging her neighbors to wake up. Relief washed over her as one by one all of her neighbor's living room and front porch lights turned on and they were coming to her rescue. She turned around, she looked in her doorway, and she saw the killer. He looked at her and then he just bolted in the direction, the other direction, got on a bicycle, you know, went through multiple streets on his bike, got into his car, and drove away. But regardless, like if that he got away, she won. She was able to untie herself, break free, scream to her neighbors. Her neighbors came to her rescue, and she won. She survived the night because of her quick thinking. So, yeah, you you boss-ass bitch. Go, girl. Even though D'Angelo escaped, he was furious. He was so fucking upset that this couple beat him, and this made his thirst for blood and anger grow. And he needed to take his frustration out. So he zeroed in on another Galita couple, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and his girlfriend, 35-year-old Deborah Alexandra Manning. So on December 29th, 1979, about you know two months, two and a half months after um, the original attack that, just, that he lost, D'Angelo spent the entire evening ransacking homes all around Galita. Something really creepy I read that Ew. I wanted to tell you guys happened. A couple 
drove up to their house and in their driveway they can see like their living room they have a big window and they saw the silhouette of man (gasps) walk like run past the living room as they pulled up oh i like chills just thinking about it i would just i would just burn my house and here's the next super super sad part they roll they ran inside their house looking to see who was there um, none of their belongings were stolen. Nothing was ransacked, but their family dog was badly <gasps> beaten. He Aww. lived, but D'Angelo beat the shit out of this dog. That's um, sad. D'Angelo then continued the night ransacking homes all over Galita, and he ended up squatting in a condo. And in the condo, there were muddy footprints of his Adidas sneakers, um, size 9 sneakers, and other proof of squatting. The next day, December 30th, he broke into Robert and Deborah's house. He woke them up by shining light in their faces and asked them for money. Deborah immediately slipped her rings off of her fingers and hid them under the mattress, thinking that it was a real robbery. Um, D'Angelo forced Deborah to tie up Robert um, while he looked around the house. Deborah pretended to tie up Robert, but she really did just like a, a loose, simple knot that someone could easily break. Once she was done with that, D'Angelo tied up Deborah. And while D'Angelo was preoccupied tying up Deborah, Robert seized the opportunity, broke free from his ties, and lunged for D'Angelo. Without even hesitating, D'Angelo just looked at Robert, raised a gun, and fired three times. Damn. Bah, bah, bah. Robert immediately fell to the floor and was dead. As the gun was still smoking, he turned around, he looked at, at to, he looked at Deborah, he moved the gun, he pointed it right at her head, and he shot. He killed her, and he fled oh the God. scene, and he disappeared into the night. And even though all of the neighbors heard gunshots, no one called the police. No one. <laughs> so D'Angelo was long gone before they even oh before even anyone discovered their bodies. And their friends who came over to play like board games the next day are the ones who found their friends brutally murdered. What? Yeah. So that's like if you just roll up to my house, Corey, you're like, Channa, we're gonna, you know, do something see, fun pop, today. Pop, pop. And you just you just see my dead body, like me like my dead body, Jordan's <laughs> dead body, Simone's like sitting in my nook because she's sad. Be a very horrific scene. So the high of this double murder made D'Angelo realize that he no longer wanted to waste his time with just sexual assault. Killing was now giving him more pleasure and it gave him the ultimate control over his victims because raping the victims already gave him control. But now adding killing to it, it was the ultimate pleasure for him. It was the ultimate form of control that you can have on a human being. So this satisfied him for about three months. Three months passed and this time he decided to leave good old Galita and he chose Ventura, California as his new hunting ground. Shout out to Ventura, because I grew up in Ventura County, like 30 yes. minutes away from Ventura. Has the greatest thrift stores. It's super fun. Thank you, Ventura. Anyways, on March 13, 1980, D'Angelo entered the home of 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith. The Smiths woke up to a masked intruder shining a light in their faces and holding a knife to their throats. He then bound their wrists and ankles with drapery cord, and he used a complicated, unusual knot to do so. Um, This knot is known as the diamond knot. He Mm. then raped Charlene multiple times as Lyman was forced to watch. He then bludgeoned the victims to death with a log from their fireplace, um, and the bodies were discovered the next morning by Lyman's 12-year-old son. 
Oh my god. Uh, the, the murderer <laughs> was given the name Diamond Knot Killer based on the Ooh. knot that he secured their their arms and legs with. So the Smith murder satisfied D'Angelo's bloodthirst for about five months. And then on August 19th, D'Angelo entered the home of 24-year-old Keith Ellie Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Brisk Harrington um, on Inigated Community. Um, he did the same to them as he did to the Smiths. He bound them, raped Patrice, bludgeoned them to death. And um, this time, however, he covered their heads with bedsheets and then he unbound them before he left. He likely did this these shifts to mislead the investigators, but fibers from the material used to bound them linked them to the original Night Stalker. So it didn't really work. He he tried. Yeah. You know, A plus for effort, but it didn't really work. During the next six months, D'Angelo's wife gave birth to their first daughter. This put a pause on his homicide on his homicidal. I almost said homicidal on his homo Lol. on his homosexual tendencies. But this put a pause yep. on his homicidal urges. But it did not last long. Simone, are you okay? <laughs> She's like being so weird right now in the closet please god and earlier today she just sat on the podcast table and steered up into the closet for almost 30 minutes and i would like touch her and she wouldn't move and i was like what the (sighs) fuck is in the closet simone stop i know it's because you're no longer here to protect us from the demons in the closet Corey. that is because like semi maybe according to tyler i'm a blocker just like he is oh yes so thanks a lot Corey. simone and i are fucked now (laughs) i'm a supernatural cock blocker Oh, yes, Daddy. Yes. How big is the supernatural cock that you're blocking? <laughs> Very big, all the time. 666 inches? Yep, yeah. at least. <laughs> at least. It's approximately 666 inches. 0.69 inches. <laughs> 0. 0.69. 0. 0.69, 420. 420 blades at faggot inches. How many inches? 420 blades at faggot. Oh, wow. <laughs> That oh, many wow. inches. You're so big. You're so big. Uh, how am I ever even going to put all this in my mouth? You're so big. <laughs> so again, my OnlyFans is... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hi, Simone. You made it. Um, We are at 15 minutes. All right. Let's do a little checky. Hello, hello, hello. Okay. So far, so good. My nice. waves are okay, coming, cool. in, coming in great. No delay. I'll tell you at like 18. Cool. Going back to my notes. On February 6th, 1981, D'Angelo set his sights on Irvine, California. Shout out Disneyland. And he picked his next target, 28-year-old Manuela Witten. Wittoon. I cannot figure out how to pronounce her last name. I listened to multiple different podcasts and and documentaries, and I don't know how to say her last name. It's W-I-T-T-H-U-H-N. Witthun? Witthun? I don't know. Witten and her husband. Wait, we're going to say Witten. Manuela's husband happened to be in the hospital the night of the murder because he was sick. So Manuela was completely Aww. alone. D'Angelo entered the home and did the same to her as he did to so many others. But this time she was completely by herself. That's sad. After she was raped and bludgeoned to death, D'Angelo fled this time, however, he threw her TV in her backyard. I think he was trying to make it look like a robbery. I don't really yeah. know, like, totally what his sense was there. 
But I like you know he could have tried stealing stuff, but nothing was like nothing was stolen or out of place. It was just her TV in her backyard. He's like fuck the TV. Anyways, five months later on July twenty seventh, and this is interesting. There's fuck there's a pattern. Chemistry. It's always between five to six months that uh, that's when his, his he needs his blood his bloodthirst. Yeah, he quenched. needs like to get that. Yeah, he needs it quenches. Those homo those homocidal. Tendencies his homicidal tendencies. His homicidal to tendencies. Same, me too. Mine lasts like maybe at the most six days though. Yeah. Uh homicidal makes me think of Knife Plus Heart. Their porno. Oh, I love that. Scary movie. Oh my god. It's so good. It's so fucking good. Anyways, five months later, on July twenty seventh, thirty five year old Sherry Domingo and twenty seven year old Gregory Sanchez became the original Night Stalkers' tenth and eleventh murder victims. That night. Um, Cherie, Cherry, Cherry, I don't know how you pronounce it. We'll go with Cherie. That night, Cherie was house-sitting for a friend, and she invited her boyfriend over. This couple woke up to the masked intruder, um, and he bound Cherie's wrists and ankles. Greg Sanchez, however, he was not going to go down without a fight. This dude was 6'4", you know, 200-plus pounds, linebacker, Damn. super intimidating guy. Compared to D'Angelo, where D'Angelo's like 5'10", like in his four, like close to his forties now, you know, obviously not as athletically fit as he used to be. But anyways, Greg Sanchez jumped out of bed and just started rushing towards D'Angelo, ready Hell to yeah. pin this guy down and fucking kill him. D'Angelo panicked because of the first time in many crimes that the situation went out of control. He panicked and he shot Greg. It knocked Greg to the floor, but it did not kill Greg. So then D'Angelo bludgeoned him to death. Cherie watched this entire situation happen. Oh my God. So after D'Angelo shot and then bludgeoned Greg to death, he turned his attention to Cherie and then raped her next to Greg's dead body and then bludgeoned her to death. Oh my God. He's a fucking bad guy. He's a piece of shit. Now, although. D'Angelo successfully murdered this couple. He was shaken up by Greg charging at him. It scared him enough, and it made him realize that he was starting to lose control of the situations again. So it freaked him out enough that he stopped murdering for five years, oh, which wow. is a wow. huge gap, obviously, yeah. compared to his five to six months where normally he murders. Um, but that's how much it freaked him out. And also that goes into play with, how much the control of the situation gives him pleasure. So now that he's losing control, he wasn't doing it as often anymore because he was scared. He was scared boy. Now he was scared boy. 69. Yeah. So between 81 and 86, even though he wasn't murdering people and raping people, he was still psychologically fucking with his old victims by calling them. He made oh, really? dozens oh. of calls to previous victims. He, pretty much made all of them believe that he was going to strike again. And so although he wasn't physically assaulting them at the time, the psychological assault was enough to keep him somewhat satisfied over the next five years. However, his homicidal tendencies did not go away. His thirst of blood needed to be quenched. So on March, oh, sorry, on May 4th, 1986, the original Night Stalker reemerged and went after his final and youngest victim. 18-year-old Janelle Lisa Cruz was home alone with her boyfriend. D'Angelo waited outside of her bedroom window, staring at them the entire night until the boyfriend left. As soon as the boyfriend left and Janelle was alone, he broke into her bedroom and unleashed by far his most vicious attack. He raped her repeatedly, 
over and over and over again. And then he bludgeoned her face beyond recognition. In fact, police needed to use dental oh records God. to even confirm it was her. Because these five years of just pent-up rage was just taken out on this poor 18-year-old girl. And after years and years and years of sexual assault and murder, he was finally satisfied. He was done murdering. And over the next couple decades, he went on to be a father of two girls and lived a quiet life with his family. And no one suspected that he could be responsible for such violent crimes. It wasn't even like a guess that this dude yeah, yeah. was the gold was now a were were these multiple different killers. So I'm gonna go through just two quick little notes. I'm gonna be jumping forward quite a bit, um, just real quick before I go into the investigation. But it's just important to know to kind of close this little chapter of what this dude was up to. So over the next couple of decades, he was continuously calling his victims. Um, he would even call them at work, even if they worked at brand new places that they've never worked at, or that they did not Whoa. work at during the attack, he would call them there. For example, this one victim, she was working at a brand new restaurant, like in a new area, and she got a call from him, and he's threatening to rape her again. Some investigators believe that this could have been a coincidence. Maybe he walked into that restaurant and happened to see her, so that's how he knew she worked there. I personally believe, however, that since he needs control of all the situations, that he is probably keeping tabs on a lot of his old victims yeah. because that just continues the control over them for their whole life. Um, and then in 1991, a previous victim received a phone call from D'Angelo, and she spoke with him for about a minute. And in the background of his call, um, she was able to hear a woman and children. So that's what started making investigators believe that he had a family. Nothing panned out from that, though. He's just, like, in the other room doing shit like yeah. that? Yeah, so that's... While they're, like, watching fucking yeah. Cheers? Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, my God. Thank you for bringing that up, because I'm glad, because I wanted to bring that up, but I was forgetting. That's what's so fucked up to me about this, is his wife and his two daughters were either in the same room or in the other room, just, you know, watching Cheers, eating dinner, playing Monopoly, doing whatever families do, and he was just in the other room calling oh all of his old rape victims just to threaten them and psychologically assault them. I mean, it's fucked up, y'all. He is a evil, 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 evil man. Yeah, this guy's this yeah, he's evil. This man is evil. He's evil. And yeah, and don't be fooled by his sad little 75-year-old, you know, shaky old man self. He's evil. So on we're fast forwarding 2001, April 6, 2001, one day after an article um, was released that was linking all these different killers, which we're going to get to in a second. Um, he made his final phone call, and he called one of his victims, and all he said <sighs> was, remember when we played? And then he hung up. <gasps> so, yeah. He made all those phone calls. So he, he is not a good guy. When he wasn't making these horrific phone calls and stalking his old victims and showing up and calling their new places of work and doing all the terrible things he would be doing, he was just living a quiet, peaceful life as a family man, just completely unbothered at all of the horrible crimes that he has committed and all the lives that he has shattered. And he just went on to live for decades, decades and decades of being a free man, um, because technology was not, you know, it was not great back in the day. So now let's go through the investigation. Oh, I just poured so much of white ice water all over my pussy. I always uh, pour 
liquid <laughs> on my vagina during this uh, podcast. It's fine. <laughs> Simone's like, God. She's like, God, we get it, Mom. You're a fucking slut. She, like, slut shames the fuck out of me every day. Uh, <laughs> That's what Simone. all her meows are little, like, slut shames. But She's like, also, She's I like, hate gays. She's like, I love Trump. I fucking hate gay. She's like, all lives matter. All the terrible things she could possibly say. I'm like, you wake no, up and on. she has like a bonnet on and like yeah. a, a bell. Right. She's like, She's You're- like shame, shame, shame. Let's go through the investigation. The Vesalia Ransacker, East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker, and the Diamond Knot Killer were all thought to be different people. This was the 70s and 80s, and police departments did not communicate back then, and D'Angelo knew that because he was a cop. And at that time, there wasn't really DNA evidence to connect anybody, so it's not a surprise that all of these different killings and rapes that happened in all these different areas in California were not connected whatsoever. It wasn't until 2001 when all these cases were finally connected by DNA. 2001 y'all that is such a long time but we're gonna get to that in a second first we're gonna go back to the 70s and 80s so even though police didn't have dna and you know technology wasn't the best back in the day they did have survivor testimonies and some evidence they knew that this dude was white he was about 510 he was slender athletic build he had size nine to nine and a half shoe he had type a blood and he was physically agile and capable of sprinting bicycling and scaling fences so that narrows him down to you know like 90 percent of white dudes in california at this time they're like they're like so he's white right that's like when they were doing with ted bundy they're like we know he's white and he has brown hair and he's like in his 20s everyone's like yeah so it's like bundy and like a a million other dudes so he's a white dude he's like a white dude his name's something generic like steve he's george (laughs) those details along with the criminal's behavior led criminologists to create a psychological profile on the this killer on d'angelo they knew that he had an emotional age between 26 to 30 years old at the time that the murders began in 1979 he most likely engaged in brutal sex in his personal life and most likely had sex with prostitutes damn He had to have some sort of knowledge of police investigative methods and evidence-gathering techniques. and They knew he was sexually functional because he was capable of ejaculation with consenting and non-consenting partners. They knew that he had to dress well, and he would not stand out in upscale neighborhoods, so he was probably decently handsome, too. Uh They knew he had to be in good... Sorry, let me re-say that. They knew he had to be in good physical condition... He was skilled. He was an experienced cat burglar and may have begun these burglaries when he was a teenager or, you know, young adult. He had some means of income but did not work in the early morning hours. He hated women for actual or perceived wrongs. He was intelligent and articulate. He was neat and well-organized in his personal life and drove a well-maintained car. He was definitely a peeping Tom, um, and he was self-assured and confident. But most importantly, from all of the evidence and everything they kind of gathered, they knew that this guy was most likely either a police officer or involved with the police or a veteran of some sort, just based off of his understanding of the investigative methods as well as, you know, evidence, all of that. So even though they had some evidence and they had a general idea of who he was, these cases weren't getting, weren't going anywhere. 
Uh, there was a break in December of 77 when a poem titled Excitement's Crave was sent to the Sacramento Bee by someone claiming to be the East Area Rapist. Um, Corey mentioned that poem last week. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read it just so I can show yeah. you guys that Son of Sam part that I was talking about. Um, so this is the poem. So please, everybody, get ready for snaps. Get on your little poetry <laughs> pasties. Uh, I wish we were friends with Jonah Hill so we could make him do this poem oh in the same format that he <laughs> Cynthia. did. Cynthia. <laughs> yeah, Cynthia. She died for our Cynthia's. You are dead. All right, this is Excitement's know. Crave, written supposedly by the East Area Rapist. All those mortals surviving birth upon facing maturity take inventory of their worth to prevailing society. Choosing values becomes a task. Oneself must seek satisfaction. The selected route will unmask character when plans take action. Accepting some work to perform at fixed pay but promise for more is a recognized social norm as it is decorum seeking for. Achieving while others lifting should be cause for deserving fame. Leisure tempts excitement seeking what's right and expects expected seems tame. Jesse James has been seen by all and son of Sam has an author. Um, others now feel temptations call Sacramento should make an offer to make a move of my life or sorry, to make a movie of my life that will pay for my plant exile. Just now I'd like to add the wife of a mafia Lord to my file. Your Ooh. East area rapist and deserving pest. See you in the press or on TV. So the reason why I think that poem is so interesting is because he mentioned Son of Sam, which I thought was real fun because, you know, Son of Sam, connection to episode one. Yeah, that's I just wanted to read one. that. So is that episode after, one? That is episode one. Damn. What an I episode. I know. What a good episode. What a, what a bang. What a way to start off with a bang. I remember because we had to record episode one like three times because we didn't <laughs> know anything about podcasting yet. After like, that poem. No shit. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I was there for all three times. After that poem was released, the killer called police and said that he would strike on Watt Avenue that night. And in fact, D'Angelo was on Watt Avenue that night, and he was able to evade the police by taking off on a bicycle. And Corey went through that. S'mores, oh my God. Or she just tried to climb up the blanket for S'mores. She's like, what, Mom? She literally just gave me a look like, what the fuck, Mom? What the fuck? Now, the following year, on December 9th, 1978, the pages from a notebook were found near a suspicious vehicle that was parked outside a victim's house. Um, Corey already went through that entire note last week, so I'm not really going to go into it. Um, there are also phone calls from 1977 to 2001, which Corey and I both talked about. Um, just to refresh you guys, these calls were made to victims, the victim's family, the victim's places of work, police, media, you kind of name it. He was constantly making calls to whoever the fuck would answer. Um, he would even do things like call the victims on Christmas, wish them a Merry Christmas so while sad. threatening to rape them. Like It was just psychological torment. He was just a fucking monster because he, even though he might have raped someone in 1976, he was calling them until 2001. And that's insane. So even though there were tons of clues, they had a general idea of who this guy who this guy is, they just could not crack the code and figure it out. There were some suspects, however, but none of them panned out. We're going to go through three of the main suspects. First one is Brett Glasby. He was a suspect for the Goleta murders. Um, he was considered a suspect by the Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara County investigators. 
And he was murdered in Mexico in 1982 before the murder of Janelle Cruz. So that eliminated him as a suspect. So by, by Brett, <laughs> How did they he was fuck killed. up that bad? <laughs> yeah, he, he was murdered in Mexico. So I guess he wasn't the Golden State Killer. Bye, Brett. They're like, oh, he was dead. They're like, yeah, he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, so I guess he's not the murderer. Maybe it was his ghost, though. Maybe this is like a really oh crazy God. supernatural crossover. <laughs> The second suspect is... <laughs> how, are they, how do you mess that up? <laughs> oh, my God. They, like, go through this long investigation. They're like, we think it's him. Someone's like, that dude's dead. <laughs> that dude died. <laughs> that dude died before one of the murders. They're like, ah, fuck. Oh. <laughs> Back to the drawing board. <laughs> oh, my God. The next... Suspect was a dude. His name was Paul Schneider. His nickname was Corn Fed. I don't know why. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jimmy, what a making, shitty nickname! You're trolling us right now. <laughs> no, this fucker's nickname is Corn Fed because he has shitty ass friends. And do you want to know why he has shitty friends? Yes. <laughs> it's because he's a high-ranking member of the Aryan Brotherhood, aka oh like the KKK, y'all. Like he oh was a white God. supremacist piece of shit. So he and his white supremacist friends gave him the nickname Corn Fed. Oh, my God. So there's that. But anyways, Corn Fed was living in, in Orange County. I just called him Cornhole. <laughs> so Cornhole, <laughs> Pornhole, <laughs> Cornhole was living in Orange County when the Harringtons, Manuela Witten, and Janelle Cruz were killed. So he was a suspect. However, a DNA test cleared him in the 90s. Damn it. And then last suspect was Joe Alsip. He was a friend and business partner of the victim Lyman Smith and his wife. Um, Alsip's pastor said that Alsip had confessed to him during a family counseling session. When Alsip was arrested for the Smith murders in 1982, um, the charges were dropped shortly after, and then his innocence was confirmed in 1997 by DNA. So those were the three, pretty much the only three suspects there were for any of these killings. Yeah. Um, while D'Angelo was Damn. just kicking it. He was a family man while continuously calling his victims in the other room. When his wife was, like, making him dinner, he was, you know, calling Holy his shit. victims and threatening to rape them again. Years went on. The case went cold. Then in 2001, DNA evidence finally linked the Stereo Rapist, the original Night Stalker, um, the Vasilia Ransacker, and the Diamond Knot Killer all together as one dude. They were the same man. He was now known as the Golden State Killer because California, you know, is the Golden the State. The Golden State. After it was publicly released, um, the cases were connected. D'Angelo then called one of his victims, and that's when he said, remember when he played because, you know, he's a fucking piece of shit. Now fast forward all the way to 2016 because nothing happened between 2001 and 2016. And the FBI publicly released information on the Golden State Killer, including sketches, intricate details about his countless crimes, and they even announced a $50,000 reward. Damn. The initiative included a national database to support law enforcement investigating the crimes and handle tips and information. Um, with all of that, the FBI also released a statement. They said if he is still alive, the killer would now be approximately 60 to 75 years old. He is described as a white male, close to six feet tall, with blonde or light brown hair and has an athletic build. Um, he may have an interest or training in military or law enforcement techniques, and he was proficient with firearms. 
Detectives have DNA from multiple crime scenes that can positively link or eliminate suspects. This will allow investigators to easily rule out innocent parties with a simple non-invasive DNA test. So this is basically the FBI's way of saying, hey, we need to find this guy. If you suspect that your grandpa could be him, just report it to us and we'll do a quick little DNA test and we can easily rule him out because, you know, he's probably not your grandpa. But if he is, you know, just call, call us, call, you know, get your grandpa in trouble. So fast forward to 2018. Detective Paul Holes, um, he has been on the case. I knew you were going to laugh. As soon as I wrote down his last name, Holes, I was like, Corey's going to laugh. Oh, my God. Corn, we had Corn Holes, and now we have Paul Holes. Oh, my God. What If I married somebody named the last name Holes, I'd be Corey Holes. And then we can say we got to go ream the oh Hole. Oh, my God. I would just <laughs> be go Glory the Holes. I would just rename myself Glory Hole. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now we need to find you a, a dude with the last name Holes. So I if know. you are listening to this and your last name is Holes, you know who to contact. Corey and my OnlyFans, which is. Contact I'm me. Just kidding. <laughs> So Paul Holes, Corey's now husband, he was on the case since the early 90s. I believe he was just on the East Area Rapist case. And obviously in 2001, when the cases were linked, um, he started looking into all of the cases. But this dude, Paul Holes, dedicated literally his entire career as an investigator on like these cases. This was it for him. This was he was so determined to crack it. So he and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer had a genius and innovative idea to catch the Golden State Killer. They decided to use a genealogy site such as, you know, 23andMe, Ancestry.com, those super famous ones. They used a site called GEDmatch to upload the Golden State Killer's DNA to see if there are any matches so Whoa, together, they cool. created a fake profile, and they uploaded the DNA. And within a day, they had 20 matches that were directly related to the Golden State Killer's great, 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 great grandpa. Whoa. So based on information, they built out over 25 family trees, which had over 1,000 people. And from that, they narrowed it, that they narrowed it down to potential suspects based on gender, age, and location. And they eliminated every single suspect except (gasps) Joseph James D'Angelo. Damn, that's cool. So Holes and Kramer (laughs) surveilled (laughs) D'Angelo while trying to get actual DNA from him. So on April 18th, D'Angelo blew his nose into a tissue and threw it in the trash. Holes and Kramer jumped at the opportunity and took the tissue, and they also collected some DNA off of a door handle. With those two samples, they compared it to a pristine DNA sample, I think from Ventura, um, of the Golden State Killer, and it was a 100% match. Not 90, not a potential match, a 100%, without a doubt, this is the same dude. So on April 24th, 2018, Sacramento County Sheriff's Department um, arrested D'Angelo. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. And on May 10th, the Santa Barbara County District Attorney Office charged D'Angelo with four additional counts of first-degree murder. Um, D'Angelo could not be charged with the 50-plus rapes and burglaries as the statute of limitations has expired for those offenses. So D'Angelo, this is where it's very Son of Sam. And so the reason why I wanted to read the poem is because he already mentioned the Son of Sam. And this next part is very Son of Sam-esque. 
So when he was arrested, he offered up a confession of sorts that cryptically referred to an inner personality named Jerry that had apparently forced him to commit the waves of crimes that ended abruptly in 1986. According to Sacramento County Prosecutor Thane Ho, um, man, these names today are so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> D'Angelo said to himself while alone in a police interrogation room, in quotes, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. So that's interesting to me because Son of Sam you know, tried to say that someone else made him do it, like a dog named Sam made him do it. And it, it was just a little fun a fun thing because he already mentioned Son of Sam, and now he's trying to pull a Son of Sam move, being like, it wasn't me. <laughs> a demon told me to do it. Relax, everybody. Moving on. In November of 2018, prosecutors from six involved counties collectively estimated that the case could cost taxpayers $20 million in the last 10 years. Um, and then at an April 10th, 2019 court proceeding, prosecutors announced that they would seek the death penalty and the judge ruled that cameras would be allowed inside the courtroom during the trial. And then in March 4th, 2020, shout out to, you know, about one week before COVID exploded. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that, that was the good old. I was like driving to that California. Was the good old days. <laughs> we, we were planning Corey's birthday probably at on this day this yep. year. D'Angelo offered to plead guilty if the de- if the death penalty was taken off the table, which at the time was not accepted, but shortly after it was accepted. And then on June 29th, D'Angelo pled guilty to 13 counts of first-degree murder in special circumstances, including murder committed during burglaries and rapes, as well as 13 counts of kidnapping in a deal to avoid the death penalty. So Damn. I'm going to read a, a little passage from a New York Times article because they I could not have put it better myself. So this is from the New York Times article titled Joseph D'Angelo Pleads Guilty in Golden State Killer Cases. And this was written by Heather Murphy and Tim Arango. Sorry, Tim Arango, if I said your last name wrong. But I say everybody's last name's wrong. So you're just part of the crew. For decades, a killer was on the loose in California, terrorizing victims from the southern coast to the Central Valley to the Bay Area and the tiny subdivisions near Sacramento. As the years went by, he bore his way into the state's consciousness, provoking manhunts and television shows and the obsessive sleuthing of amateur detectives. He went by many nicknames, East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Vasilia Ransacker, before a last one took hold, the Golden State Killer. The final accounting of his crime spree was 13 known murders and nearly 50 rapes. Joseph James D'Angelo, 74, no longer the agile young man who sneaked into women's homes, had to be helped up when the judge entered the room. He wore an orange prison jumpsuit and a plastic face shield and and was surrounded by district attorneys from several jurisdictions where he committed his crimes. The hearing went on for hours as Mr. D'Angelo, who was captured two years ago after being arrested using a novel DNA technique and was offended how many violent crimes are now solved in the United States, pleaded guilty again and again to 13 counts of first-degree murder that he committed across California in the 70s and 80s. In front of victims and their families, Amy Holliday, the Sacramento County 
uh, deputy district attorney, announced the plea arrangement, which took the death penalty off the table in exchange for guilty pleas that resulted in 11 consecutive life sentences. In addition, she said, he also agreed to admit guilt in a multitude of crimes for which he was not charged, some of which had passed the statute limitations. What? Basically, with that, he was pleading guilty to those 13 murders. Plus, he was saying, yeah, I also committed all those rapes and burglaries. Um, he did this in exchange of you know, getting the death penalty off the table. Oh, okay. Yeah. So throughout the hearing, prosecutors from counties across California approached the podium and described a series of murders, rapes, and burglaries in great detail. Michael G. Bowman, a judge for the Sacramento County Superior Court, then asked Mr. D'Angelo for his plea. Guilty, Mr. D'Angelo said after each one. The judge then asked whether he admitted the circumstances of the crime. I admit, he said, over and over. Asked by the judge if he understood sorry, asked by the judge if he understood he would receive eleven consecutive life sentences without parole, Mr. D'Angelo said yes. As part of the plea deal, Mr. D'Angelo will avoid the death penalty, a decision that has produced mixed feelings among some victims and their families who are eager to see this chapter close, but also want to see the man who terrorized so many forced to confront the allegations. Gay Hardwick, who was raped in 1978 while her now husband, Bob Hardwick, was tied up, was among the audience members who sat in carefully distanced Whoa. group. I already feel relieved, she said. He's going away and never coming out. There won't be any appeals. He will die in prison. So that is a quote from the New York Times, or a whole section from the New York Times article, because I thought it really you know, captured how the how different one the trial was because he had the face shield, social distance groups, blah, 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 but how he pled guilty um, immediately, and now he's going away for 11 life sentences. And this dude's 74, so he's not going to live for long. I also thought it's really cool that some of the victims, the victims who are still alive because old age, um, were there, were present, and uh, they were able to watch him finally yeah, go to closure. jail and get justice yeah. and get some closure. So after decades, the Golden State Killer is finally behind bars. We are watching history being made, y'all. Like this is so yeah. such a cool and unique time for all of us to be alive. And a lot of us, a lot of our listeners are young millennials. So we haven't really had any huge cases like this um, where some older listeners might have been around for some of those other famous true yeah, crime the, cases. Yeah, the like 90s, the early 90s. OJ Simpson and, mainly. Yeah, in but the all those late ones. 80s. Yeah. So this is really cool that that we are able to uh, witness the Golden State Killer finally being put behind bars. However, the way he was arrested has sparked some controversy. By using genealogy sites to find criminals of cold cases, does this violate the privacy of those who join the DNA database to learn more about themselves? Is it even ethical to find a criminal this way? Valid. If you, on the flip side, since the Golden State Killer arrest, over 150 arrests have been made by using DNA database, Whoa, such as 23andMe cool. and Ancestry.com. And so 100, scary. Yeah, exactly. But 150 victims finally get justice, and this new technology and technique could solve cases like the Zodiac Killer. The yeah. issue is, though, where do we draw the line? Like, what e what is a type of case that can be used with that DNA tech? Is it just <laughs> sexual the, or violent crimes? Or are we going to do, like, old drug crimes to try to yeah, hurt people? Yeah, like, Minority Report creators just, like, jacking off in the corner right now. Right. <laughs> to what you're saying. <laughs> so the, the question, though, I have for you, Corey, and for our listeners is, 
does the good outweigh the bad? Like, yes, it violates our privacy, but it's violating your privacy to bring justice for all of these victims. So does it really matter that it violates your privacy? Like our DNA could help catch a monster. I don't know, but it, it's, it's a little, it's a little iffy. So what do you think, Corey? How, I think what, if they change, thoughts? if the 23andMe would like change their agreement and they're like, you know, they're fine print, then I yeah. think that's okay. But I, I, I don't think it's necessarily okay to do it. Yeah, because Jordan's super anti this because he thinks yeah. it's really invasive, and now he thinks like we can also be pinned for crimes that we did not commit just because yeah. our DNA is similar. If there's similar. a good enough match, you could go to yeah, you could go to trial. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. And he also said like, oh, like what if one of my brothers commits a crazy crime and they use my DNA, and that's like I get and like my brother gets arrested. And it's like this whole crazy thing. I don't know. It's it's hard because you. Yeah, you're, they're violating your privacy, and there's a, I guess, small chance that you could get fucked. But also, like, the bigger picture is that they, it could finally bring justice to victims and put some cases to a close. I guess my issue is where that line is. Like, if they're just going to be doing it for, um, like, cold murder cases and, like, cold rape cases, then I'm kind of all yeah, for it. Yeah, I think it. that's a good – yeah, if it's, like, not a current thing. Yeah, who knows, but I'm, though. I, yeah. But I'm scared with our police. Police are going to do whatever the fuck they can and want. And that, yeah. yeah, so they're going to be trying to do, like, old drug crimes or old, like, burglaries or things like that just to try to arrest as many people as they kind of yeah. can. So I don't know. It's it's scary. So, so they I, get more funding, et cetera. Yeah. So I guess I'm for it because it's also just from like a true crime perspective. This is so fun for me because I'm like, oh, my God, we can catch a Zodiac killer. Like, oh, my God, think of the possibilities of all these yeah, catches, all these cases. But it's just it's also scary. Like, I understand both sides of it. So, listeners, let us know what you think. But, uh, Corey, yeah, how's your sex life? Yeah, sex life's good. It's been a fun week. Um, I read what I do today. Today I was reading the Midsummer uh, script. It was Ooh, crazy. Fun. It was like fucking crazy. It was yes. amazing at the same time. Um, what else? Yeah, just had like a, a a good like dates and meetups with some guys this past like week. It was really fun. Ooh, fun. Um, How's the one guy with the dog? Yeah, I have not seen him since then because he was off with somebody else for mm. uh, like somebody who was visiting that was like a planned trip. So oh, he fun. is done with that and we're going to hang out over the next in the next like this weekend, definitely. Cute. Yeah. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. Overall, um, it's been a good week in Idaho or a meh week or a bad week. It's been a good week. Yeah, it's been actually a really good productive week and stuff i'm just still waiting for the job but i pretty much have it i'm just waiting for stuff to go through but it's really annoying because i don't think i'm working until next wednesday oh but at least you you pretty much have it so congratulations yeah well yeah i mean it's not a hundred percent but it's pretty much they're just like yeah we're just waiting for this to happen and like you basically have a you know you're a good you're a go so i'm like good so it's good yes well 99 percent congratulations and yeah. if something falls through we'll just drink about it thank you yeah so yeah it's been a good week just like really fun met like two other really good guys really fun yay um, and hanging out with one of them tomorrow and then the other guy he's also on a trip with uh just like a friend and so but he i'm most interested in so i won't say names, but yeah yeah well, yay, that's exciting. Yeah. And soon I'm going to come up to Idaho soon. Yes. 
We'll, we'll talk about that after. We'll, we'll do some planning. We'll, we'll, I'll call you tomorrow or okay, on Saturday, yeah. and we'll, we'll plan. Yeah, totally. But, uh, well, yeah, I'm glad you had a good week, Corey. That's good. Yeah, it was a fun week. How was your week? My week was good. I worked a bunch. I started in OnlyFans. Yep. Ball slabby sex with Jordan and got a tattoo. So overall, ten yeah, out of ten. A, yeah, that's a fun week. We had we had pretty it, good weeks. Yeah, it was a it was a good week. And yeah, I, I did really a, hit like I really hit it with writing this week. So that's why I'm like really happy. Yay, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I floated the river on Sunday. That yeah. was fine. Um, and then the yeah, it, overall it was a pretty solid week. Nothing too crazy to report, except my OnlyFans, which I keep on dropping because, please, guys, go follow it. Go look Only at my fans. titties. I know y'all want to look at my titties. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Anyways. House. Your. Sex. Life. Bye, guys. Bye.